middle of this series called The Revolutionary Way, where Jesus, Jesus is going crazy for three chapters in Matthew. He is spitting fire going, this is what it means. Let me hear you say, this is what it means. One, two, three. This is what it means. This is what it means to be a part of his kingdom. Now, here's what's crazy. Listen to this for a second, guys. You are living in some kingdom. Maybe you didn't know this. But you're living in some kingdom. You're either living in the kingdom of yourself. You're living in the kingdom of your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're living in the kingdom of grades. You're living in the kingdom of your future. You're living in the kingdom of the salary you hope to make someday. You're living in the kingdom of being a people pleaser. Some of you are living in a kingdom of addiction, that you got something that's just enslaving you. Well, Jesus, Jesus is inviting you and me to live in his kingdom. Not in anybody else's, not in any other thing's kingdom, but to live in his kingdom. And so for three chapters, he's bringing it, telling us what does it mean to think like him, to act like him, to love like him, to be like him, to understand what it actually means to follow him. And maybe some of you, you're new to this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're just starting to show up. You picked a great time to show up because this is what we're talking about, is how does Jesus want us to think? And we just entered, two weeks ago, we entered um, this discussion on murder. And for literally the next like eight or 10 Wednesday nights, we're going to hear Jesus say something like, you've heard it said, do not murder, but, and then he takes that command deeper to the heart level. He's, he's going to say tonight, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but, and he wants to take it to a deeper level. And, and here, I was thinking about this, and this is really, you're going to hear me say this for the next like 10 weeks, this big idea. That Jesus' message is, I don't want you to walk the line, I want you to run in freedom. That Jesus is not interested in you kind of walking this line, towing this line of sin, going, man, is this sin? Is it not sin? Is this okay? Is it no, he doesn't want you to walk this line where you're just like, man, I, I just really want to do this with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Man, I, I think this is okay. I'm not. No, no, he wants you to run in freedom. And you see, this is one of Jesus' big ideas, is that sin, though it feels good for a moment, and though it seems like it satisfies it ends up enslaving you. That true freedom, true freedom comes when you're running and you're living the life that Jesus created you to live. So tonight we're talking a little bit about relationships. We're talking a little bit about sex. We're talking a little bit about lust. And I felt like before we even open up our passage, I have to remind us, I have to remind us of sort of a, a theology of sexuality. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but I have to start this way because as soon as maybe someone gets up here and starts opening the scriptures and talks about sex, there's many people who absolutely believe, oh, God hates sex. Oh, God is against sex. Oh, man, God thinks sex is gross. That couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, I've talked to you about this before, but in Genesis, in Genesis, God creates man and woman, and he gives them a command, the very first command, the very first thing that God ever says to a group of people. He's created them, and it's like he's prepared this speech, and he's going up to them, and they're interacting for the very first time, and he looks at people, and what does he say for the very first time? He says, have sex. Literally, that's what he says. He literally says, 
be fruitful, multiply. The very first words out of the creator's mouth to a group of people is have sex. Now this may get me fired, but you got to listen to the rest of it. He says have sex. And it's in the context of this marriage relationship that he, that he has created. And he says, I want you to, I want you to reproduce Later in scripture, it's affirmed that sex is a good thing, that it's something God designed. And then he says, I want you to be stewards of the earth. I want you to take care of this beautiful place. I want you to be leaders here. And you see, in our minds, we kind of got it confused that God is like anti-sex. And and what we're going to see is Jesus is going to become critical of us and he's going to challenge us in terms of our lust. But you need to understand that there is something very different between love and lust. That love says, how can I serve you? What's in your best interest? What actions and what things about our relationship are going to help you grow closer to Jesus, not satisfy my needs? Lust is this. Lust takes somebody who's an image bearer, who is somebody who that God created and reduces them to an object. That anytime you lust after someone... What you are doing is you are taking their status that God Almighty has given them as an image bearer, meaning he knit them together, meaning he thought them up, meaning he is the author of their story, meaning in him alone will they find ultimate purpose and life, and instead of valuing that and helping them follow that, you are reducing them to an object that you can use and abuse and exploit in any way that you want. You see, lust is very, very different from love. There's two passages before we jump into our Matthew text that I want us to look at real quick. The first one is Job 24, 15. Let's read this. Job 24, 15 says this. There it is. The eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks no eye will see me, and he keeps his face concealed. Here's how you know that you may be in danger of lust and adultery and a sexual relationship that that God hasn't desired for you. It's if there's some kind of secrecy in your life. Guys, a, a really good rule of thumb is if you're doing something in secret that you're afraid of telling other people about, that you don't want to invite your small group leader into, that your Christian brothers and sisters who are there to love you and care for you, if you want to keep this distant from them, that's a really good sign that there might be something wrong in that relationship. I want to show you this next one. This is Proverbs 30, verse 20. It says this. This is the way of an adulterous woman. This could be woman or man. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. You see, secrecy, secrecy is usually a, a clue or, or, or an... Uh, a way of maybe thinking that you're, you're traveling down a path that isn't good for you. But another one is just having a hard heart. For those of you that are following Jesus, for those of you that love Jesus, if he were to tell you, hey, the way you and your boyfriend or girlfriend are interacting is inappropriate, would you finish your meal, wipe your mouth, and say, I've done nothing wrong? 
Or you and me, the kinds of people who are tuned into Jesus and going, Jesus, whatever it is that you have for me, it's because you love me. It's because you want my best. It's because you care for me. It's because you know that if I go down my own path, it's going to lead to destruction. But if I follow you, that there is life at the end of that, that there is life in that journey. Do you trust him enough to when he says, I don't want you to lust after her or him. I don't want you to sleep with that person. Do you trust him enough? Do you know that his love for you is so good, is so powerful, is so overwhelming that he only wants your best? So if right now you're in this room and and you find yourself being a little secretive or you find yourself having a hard heart, then my hope is that the words of Jesus would convict you and not in a way to ever make you feel guilty and not in a way to make you feel ashamed but in a way that ultimately draws you back to him. To open up to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, where we've been finding ourselves for a while, Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 27, it says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Um, Andrew, our intern, he preached an incredible sermon a few Sundays back about the 10 commandments. Actually, Eric has preached a message about that. I think Rob has. We've been slowly working our way. I think Jeff has. We've been slowly working our way through the Ten Commandments. And and this idea is from the Ten Commandments that Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And here's what's interesting is that when those people are hearing this for the first time, when they're hearing Jesus say these words, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I want you to hear it the way that they would have heard it. A second century writer says this about the culture, about, about the second century, about which is close to the first century when Jesus was around. This is kind of the, the way that culture thought about relationships between men and women. He says this. If you should catch your wife in adultery, you may with impunity put her to death without a trial. But... If you should commit adultery or indecency, this is obviously written to men. If you should commit adultery or indecency, she must not presume to lay a finger on you, nor does the law allow it. That seems jacked up. That doesn't seem very cool. That in this this context, that in this world, it was perceived to be okay for men to commit adultery. Meaning, meaning, and this is how they would have defined it and understood adultery, that adultery was as a married man sleeping with another man's wife. Now they had gotten so far away from the heart of God that they had even believed that as long as they slept with a prostitute or as long as they slept with an unmarried woman, that was okay because technically they defined adultery as a married man sleeping with a married man's woman. And so Jesus knows that their hearts have become hardened, that they've tried to figure a way out, especially men, that they've tried to figure a way to get around this commandment. And what has happened is their hearts have become hardened. And so Jesus says it this way, but... And you're going to see this over and over and over again in the passage, this word, but it's this idea that I don't desire for you to walk the line. I desire for you to run in freedom. So every time you read Jesus saying, but you got to know, he's saying, man, I, I, I know you've heard this, but I have more for you. I have better for you. And so he says this, but 
I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Again, Jesus uses this word hell, Gehenna. It was an actual place. It was the city dump in Jerusalem. It was a valley at the bottom of Jerusalem where trash and bodies and babies were sacrificed a long time ago. And it's this place that, that had this image of just total destruction and total isolation, total desolation from God. And so Jesus uses this imagery because he says, you don't want to go there. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Here's kind of our big idea tonight. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you are undressing someone in your heart, it's only a matter of time before you start undressing them with your hands. Jesus says, if you're undressing someone with your heart, I want to expand this idea less, maybe even a little bigger. Then maybe for you, you're like, I, I, I'm not lusting after any guys right now. I'm not lusting after any girls. What is that thing that you are infatuated by? That thing that you are so passionate about, the thing that has all of your attention, the thing you wake up thinking about, the thing you go to bed thinking about, that thing that is all-consuming. It might be a person. For very many of us, it's a person, or it's an idea, or it's a fantasy, or a relationship, whatever it is. Jesus says that if you start undressing that thing in your mind, it's only a matter of time before you start undressing them with your hands. And some of you are going, well, isn't the sin just in actually doing the thing? And Jesus wants to say, no, that the sin is even in our hearts. Because as long as we maintain that in our hearts, as long as we're lusting after whatever it is that we're lusting after, you know what'll happen? We'll continue to remove ourselves from community. We'll live in secrecy and our heart will become hardened. And so I love the song that Jarrett led where he was talking about Break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, th this is really our desire as followers of Jesus. Is that our hearts would break for the things that break God's heart. In fact, this is a prayer, and if you're writing this down, this is a prayer I want you to pray all week. I want you to pray this at night. I want you to pray this throughout your day. And it's a really vulnerable prayer, and I guarantee Jesus is going to answer this prayer. And it's very simple, and it goes like this. God, is there anything in me that's breaking your heart? Is there anything in me that's breaking your heart? And when you're open and you're vulnerable before Jesus, and you go, God, examine all of me. And whatever is in me that isn't in alignment with you, whatever's in me that's breaking your heart, reveal that to me. Because Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7.10. I love the way he, he unpacks this idea of God revealing our brokenness. He says this. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says this. Boom. There it is. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 
You see, Jesus actually desires, desires for you and me to experience godly sorrow. This means that when we realize the way in which we've been interacting with our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our friends, the gossip, whatever, that God will bring about godly sorrow. If you think that God is only interested in keeping you happy, that he's only interested in you experiencing this, this, like, this life where, where you're never experiencing any conviction, where there's no change going on, then you're wrong because he wants better for you. And so what we need to be asking as Christians is, Jesus, would you bring about the godly sorrow, the kind of sorrow about the things that break your heart? And, and I say this a lot to you guys, but there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is conviction. And conviction says this, this thing, whatever it is, it can be made right. That whenever you feel conviction from the Lord that, that maybe you've been looking at a girl and man, you've just been lusting after her and you've been reducing her to an image or you're looking at something online or you have this infatuation with whatever it may be, that when you reduce that to an image, God will bring about godly sorrow. He will bring about conviction in your life. And that kind of conviction says, this is not okay, but this can be made right. But worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow is shame and it's guilt And you know what shame says? Shame says there's no way to fix this. And some of you, you've lived in that. Some of you that you you sin, maybe you struggle with perfectionism, and you just go, man, there's just no way to fix this. I'm just always going to carry this sin. I'm always, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that he would bring about conviction in your life so that you would be drawn close to him. A kind of godly sorrow that, check out what happens next, godly sorrow that leads to Repentance. Repentance is this idea of turning back. This idea that that you recognize as you're praying, God, is there anything in me that breaks your heart? And he's going to reveal something to you. And repentance says, okay, I'm going to turn away from thinking and obsessing about that, and I'm going to go in the opposite direction. That's literally what the word repentance means. And ultimately, that leads to salvation. That leads to life. You guys, some of you are so apathetic in your faith and it's because you settled for a life of sin when he created you for a life of freedom. And some of you are so apathetic because the one controlling your story is yourself and you're just not that creative. That God didn't create you to write your own story. He created you to live into his story and true life and freedom comes from listening to God and when he brings about that godly sorrow you go man I'm going to turn away from that because I know that's not taking me where you want to take me Lord see when you when you when you choose to give your whole self to lust you lose every time but when you choose to lose your life to the one who gives you life you find life That when you choose to lose your life, you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to lose my life to you because you've given me life. That's when you ultimately find true life. I want to close with two passages. Start with James chapter 115. It says this. James chapter 115. I'm going to read it to you guys. James chapter 115 says this. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, this is why for Jesus it's such a big deal that he says, man, your heart matters to God. 
Because if in your heart you, be, you have these desires, you have these lustful thoughts, and you allow them to continue without putting them in check, without turning away from them, he says that those desires will give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, will give birth to death. You see, the opposite of what God wants for you is death. He wants life for you. And so here's our hope, and here's where we'll break for small groups. Here's our hope. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. This, this passage where Jesus says, Man, if, if your eye is causing you to stumble, if your hand's causing you to stumble, cut it off, gouge it out. Better for you to be hurt and wounded than be dead. And so for some of you, it's gonna be the hardest thing for you tonight to decide, I'm gonna give up on that lust. I'm gonna stop objectifying that person. I'm gonna stop clicking around, whatever it may be. And it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be painful. But one of the ways that you gouge that out, one of the ways you cut that off is by stopping, stopping being secretive about it and start opening up and sharing. And there's something very powerful that happens when we confess what's going on in our world and we allow our brothers and sisters to actually pray for us. And so tonight, as you break into your small groups, I'm gonna ask you to be really vulnerable. I'm gonna ask you to be honest and to share what is it that you're lusting after? What is, it, what is that thing that has captured your heart that you're walking the line on and you know Jesus desires for you to run in freedom, but you're walking the line because you're obsessed with this thing? What would it look like for maybe the first time tonight to share in the trusted context of your small group and say, guys, I need help. I need your prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that you care about our hearts, that you're not just interested in our actions. You're not just interested in us getting as close as we can to sin. You want us to run as far away from it as possible because that is where freedom is. Freedom is in a relationship with you, not in towing the line. And God, I know, I know that sin is enticing. And its lies feel very compelling. But your truth is better. And your love and your goodness is better. So God, tonight, would we be people who as we open up in small groups, we get real and raw and honest about what we're struggling with. And would we as a community surround each other and love one another. God, thank you for this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey.